So this is the third Sunday of Easter, which means that um, here at the Southeast Raleigh table, we recognize that Easter is not just one Sunday, but that Easter is actually a whole season. Um, in fact, Easter is a 50-day season that spans over seven weeks or seven Sundays. So from now until June 5th, we are going to find ourselves in this liminal season where we celebrate how it is that we practice resurrection in our daily lives. The sermon series that we're in right now is called Holy Yes, and we're going to hear from folks within our community about how they said holy yes to new vocation, or holy yes to purpose, or holy yes to the things of their lives that buoy them and bring joy and grace and peace. How we can take the grand, beautiful celebration of Easter Sunday and the grand, beautiful celebration of resurrection power in the Easter season and let it intersect with our daily, everyday lives. That's what we're going to do here in this place. But this morning, uh, we are going to make a slight turn in that before we hear from individuals in our community who are going to talk about the holy yeses that they've made in their individual lives, we're going to talk about collectively how the Southeast Raleigh table might say a holy yes in this particular season. So this Sunday, I have said that this is going to be um, a day where I offer up a state of the church. Now, I realize there always has to be a great level of trust whenever I get to be the sole voice to speak on behalf of our whole community. But I want you to know this. I don't take this moment lightly, that this isn't just what Lisa wants. But after um, sitting in times of silence and solitude and prayer, and having conversations with you, and needing to listen to the voice of God. The things that I'm going to share with you today are the things that keep coming up over and over and over again, and I recognize that this indeed isn't just something that I have been musing on, but the way in which God might be speaking in us and also through us that we might know a grand vision and also purpose for our lives in this place. So these are not just my words. This is a collective word, but I do pray that you would trust that because my mouth is going to be the one that is moving, that I don't take, um, I don't take it too lightly how I speak about our community. This is also the start of, um, of a new month. And for our Nigerian brothers and sisters, for our Nigerian siblings, they will typically offer up these greetings, uh, happy new month, on the first day of any new month, which is kind of a reminder that the, the start of a new month can become uh, a start for us to remember some new beginnings. And so it felt right that we would um, offer up the state of the church on May 1st, that we might remind ourselves that always we begin again. So these words, even though they're not coming at the beginning of the year, that even though they're situated in the fifth month of 2022, that this might be a word in due season for each and every one of us. I sense today for our church that we are sitting at the cusp of some new realities. And I pray that that would bring our hearts great joy. I want you to hear now from Exodus chapter 16, the first through the seventh verses. This particular passage of scripture might be familiar to you and that this is um, kind of the beginning of the Israelites' journey in the wilderness. 
They had been enslaved in Egypt, and Moses, who is the great liberator, has brought them out of Egypt, and now they are finding themselves trekking toward the promised land. You may know that it takes them 40 years to get to this great promised land. And all the while, they are so human during this journey. And all the while, God is so God during this journey. So hear now these words in Exodus chapter 16, beginning with the first verse. And it says this. The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elam. And Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. You know how we get when we're on trips. And the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for the day. In that way, I will test them whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because God has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? I want you to hear verse 3 once again. The Israelites said to Aaron and to Moses, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And then God provides. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, most great epiphanies happen when you're having conversations with people in the parking lot. I've just made up my mind that that's, that's so. And a couple of weeks ago, I was actually in the parking lot of my gym talking to a member of this uh, congregation who also happens to work out at the same gym with me. And as we were talking about how the last couple of months have been feeling, I told her that I feel personally like I'm at the train station and that all the people around me have their bags packed with a one-way ticket wanting to go to Egypt, and I'm waiting for the train that's going to take us to the promised land. And what I meant by, by all of that is that I, was, I have been feeling over the last couple of months that this urgency that people have or trying to make up for the last two years now that we're outside and doing more things together or, or people trying to even pretend like the last two years have just kind of been a blip on the radar, that we can just somehow go back to what we were doing before, that we can totally dismiss that we have been changed in this process that something about that just hasn't been sitting well with me and that it was creating some pain points because I don't want to go back. <laughs> I don't want to go back. 
And I was sharing with this person in the parking lot that um, as I imagine myself at this train station and people with a one-way ticket with their bags packed wanting to go to Egypt and I'm waiting on a train that's going to take me even though it might be to an uncertain future, that I know it's going to mean something for my life that some people are going to want to return to something that is no longer and the commitment that I'm going to make or that we're going to make to move toward a future that is uncertain but is promised to come with hope and goodness and to be God-breathed. That despite the pain points of realizing, oh, it's going to renegotiate some, some relationships and mean that I'm going to have to make my holy yeses, some very loud holy yeses, and my holy no's, some very loud holy no's, that I would still rather walk towards uncertainty than to turn and go back. I just am not built for that. In that conversation, I was drawn from the imagery of this Exodus narrative that we find here in Exodus chapter 16. Actually, it begins with Exodus chapter 14 to Exodus chapter 16. The Israelites have not been in the wilderness for a very long time. They're really at the beginning of their 40-year journey through the wilderness, but already they're having a crisis. They're, they're recognizing this pain point because they're in a moment of uncertainty and a moment of doubt. I don't necessarily think that it's a faith crisis, but I do think that it's a crisis of imagination. <laughs> because as soon as they begin to experience pain or discomfort, as, as soon as their bellies begin to grumble and to rumble, as soon as things start to not seem quite like those high, beautiful words that Moses said to them about what it would look like for them to get to the promised land, the Israelites make two moves. Their instinct is either to want to go back to Egypt or to romanticize Egypt. When they have a thwarted imagination, whenever there is a pain point or discomfort, they romanticize the place of their oppression. Or they want to about face and walk back to the place of their oppression. In chapter 14 of, uh, in Exodus, it says that when um, Pharaoh's army is kind of like closing in on the Israelites, they turn to Moses and they say, were there not enough graves in Egypt for us? Did we not tell you that we would rather serve and be enslaved than to find ourselves in the wilderness? When you romanticize your oppression, and then in chapter 16, because there's a hunger problem, because it feels like in this, um, in this journey that there's some scarcity, they begin to pine for the flesh pots of their oppressor. For over 400 years, the Israelites had been oppressed and enslaved by the Egyptians. And Moses, this great leader, comes and he raises up this great movement of liberation. And the Israelites trust that God is going to bring them out of this place of oppression into a broad and a good land where they will know themselves free and whole. And yet sometimes 
It is easier to have an imagination for the thing that is familiar, even if it is not the greatest thing for us, than to have an imagination for where we are currently living. Reverend Tanetta Landis Aina asked this question to the church. That like the Israelites, can we commit to an imagination for the in-between? And can we commit to life in the in-between? Sometimes turning back to the old, because it feels familiar, we have an imagination for an old life. We find it too difficult maybe to imagine what the new life will look like. And so then we have a thwarted imagination for what life in the in-between can be like. The Israelites had a hard time believing that the wilderness could be a place where God's glory could be revealed in the morning and that God could show up in the evening. They had a hard time believing that in the wilderness that they could know themselves loved and whole. They had a hard time believing that in the wilderness that God would provide manna bread from heaven that they might not know that they live out of a place of scarcity but instead because of a God who is good, they always get to live out of a place of abundance. They had a hard time committing to an imagination of the in-between. And when we don't have an imagination for what it might look like to live in the in-between, whenever we experience pain points, we will pine for the things of old. I want you to hear this question again. Can we commit to the in-between? Can we commit to the awkwardness and the uncertainty of this moment that we're living in? We are not the same cert. We are not the same Southeast Raleigh table that sat in this space on March 8th, 2020. We have been changed. Each and every one of us have been changed. <laughs> There is something about the way in which we understand survival and flourishing. There is something different in the ways in which we understand connection and also what is liberation and also what is good for us. We understand these realities very differently two years later than when we were sitting in this place on March 8, 2020, which was the last worship service that we had before we took shelter in place. Right now, we are living in an in-between moment. There is no roadmap for this in-between moment. I did not take a class in seminary for this in-between moment. All the podcasts, all the Instagram posts, all the books, all the scholars cannot tell me exactly what we need to do in this moment. But what I know about this moment, this in-between moment, where we're not going to go back and we're not quite sure of what is before us, that God will reveal God's self in the morning and in the evening the Lord will show up. But that means we have to commit ourselves to having an imagination, friends, 
for the in-between. And we have to commit ourselves to journeying in the in-between. And so here's my pivot. There are three things that as I've been thinking over the last five months, I believe that God is calling us to have a new imagination for here in this place. The first one is to have a holy yes for our connection and our community within these four walls because it will affect our relationship with community beyond these four walls. One thing that I hear over and over again about the Southeast Raleigh table that is not oftentimes said about other church communities is that people know our impact beyond these four walls. People know what we're up to. I can go onto Shaw's campus and someone can say, oh my gosh, I have bumped into something that you all are doing at the Southeast Raleigh table. I can meet someone who's on faculty at St. Augustine's and they'll say, I know something that is happening with the uh, Southeast Raleigh table. I can go to the Black Farmer's Market and someone can tell me about something that we are doing beyond the four walls. I just need you to know that is exceedingly beautiful because a lot of churches struggle with how is it that we don't just care about each other within the pews and then we totally forget about the people who are in the parish. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And yet. I believe that in this in-between season, God is calling us to learn what it is to reconnect to each other in the pews. That God is calling us to holy friendships in the pews. That God is calling us to new ways of connecting because we're also different people. <laughs> because there are those who have joined us along the way that we did not know two years ago and folks who are going to meet five months from now who didn't know us today. And the thing is that if we don't have deep connection with one another, if we do not trust each other, then everything that we do beyond these four walls could potentially become dangerous. If we don't practice justice with each other, if we don't have good self-examination questions with each other, if we don't have modes of repentance and confession with each other, if there aren't paradigms for truth-telling with each other, it is going to be very difficult to do that beyond these four walls. So I believe that with whatever we might create, and it may not look like the missional communities we had before, it might be pop-ups and it might be Bible studies and it might be helping people to have connections with each other just because of where you are, uh, the season in your life. That everything that we do, we do it with this great level of intentionality and thoughtfulness. That it's not going to just be relationships on the surface, but relationships that are deep. For many of us who are sitting in this space right now, the summer of 2020 almost undid us. We recognize that our relationships couldn't just be safe. They needed to be holy and not doing harm or further harm. 
So when I think about what does it look like for us to be community within so that it affects the ways in which we say a holy yes and community beyond. As Adrian Marie Brown says, can the church see itself as an emancipatory space? That the things that we do free us and liberate us can the Southeast Raleigh table believe, and I really do think that we are truly set up to be a subversive presence in the world. That's a good thing. That we don't dress like empire, that we don't act like empire, that we don't do like empire, but that we actually struggle and wrestle towards fumbling towards repair. And having means of like justice in our relationship that we look like kingdom in this place. That we might be a place that every single thing we do in regard to spiritual formation also turns into transformative justice in the world. And that we feel ourselves freed up to take ownership not only of our personal healing but also of our collective healing. I want to say something about our community within and our community beyond. We are a multi-church, meaning we recognize our multi-racialized identities and sexual orientations, how we show up in the world based off of gender and socioeconomic status and abilities. And the thing is, people love to celebrate multi-churches when we take good pictures with each other. It is hard, friends to be committed to the in-between and a multi-space. It is easy to say that we make space for each other. It's a different thing to literally live in a way that everyone can live well. Because we have to ask ourselves over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, how do I show up in such a way that I do not create harm for the other. But I believe this is the season where we're going to get to know each other again, that the world might know something really glorious about who we are. That we're not just a nice church, but that we are a just church. The second thing that I um, sense is important for us to hold on to is that we'll say a holy yes to our level of commitment will determine our capacity. How many of you have had this, this feeling that you said yes for, yet said yes to, to show up to a Zoom on a Monday that's supposed to be on a Thursday, and by the time Thursday comes, you don't have Zoom energy anymore? We are different even in our capacity and our ways of commitment and showing up. And over the course of the last two years, in many ways, the Southeast Raleigh table became very kind of staff forward in what we did. Our staff created videos, our uh, staff reached out to folks to be a part of the videos. We didn't get to come and do things in person. And in many ways, staff was like the hospitality team. We set things up, we tear, th you know, tear things down. We came, became very staff, like very staff forward. 
It was just the way in which it had to be over the last two years. And now as we're coming back and we're inviting ourselves into saying yes, where we feel like um, our gifts can best be used in the life of the church, we're all recognizing that we have different levels of energy for our yes. There are things that we wanted to give ourselves to maybe three years ago that we're not quite sure that we have enough margin to do that now. But I believe that God is calling each and every one of us to share something of ourselves in this place. But in order to be also right-sized and human-sized, is that we will just realize that in any particular season that we are journeying in at the Southeast Raleigh table, that whatever our level of commitment might look like in that season, that will determine our capacity for what we do. So that we're not doing more than what we can actually hold. That we're not trying to focus on 15 things, but maybe we focus on one or two or three things. Maybe such a time as our energy levels look a little bit different, or we recognize that maybe we didn't need to be doing 25 things at the same time all of the time. We're going to feel out what our holy yeses need to be in this place and what our holy noes need to be in this place. How we might build back our teams and our committees. How we might renew our partnerships with um, the historically black colleges in our community and also the elementary schools that we come alongside. Slowly but surely, we are going to recognize what our level of commitment is so that we can also determine our capacity. I want to say this. Along with um, recognizing what our individual kind of commitment might look like in this place, this feels like a season at the Southeast Raleigh table where we're going to need to expand our staff as well. We have done a beautiful job with the, with the folks who serve in a formal capacity. But I'm watching our margin get thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner as we are growing larger and larger and larger and larger. But I don't want us to believe or to think that because we might expand our staff, that that means that we take away from you your ability to collaborate and to unleash your gifts in this place as well. You are powerful. You are creative. You have things to share. And this is the season where we're going to up our ask, but also give grace for when you need to say holy yes and when you need to say holy no. And we'll build our capacity around our commitments. And here's the last thing, is that we say holy yes to knowing that the move that we're going to make to a new space is more than brick and mortar. On the Sunday in 2019, when we gathered here at Milner, uh, it used to be Milner Presbyterian Church before we became uh, the Southeast Raleigh table in this space, we announced that we were going to uh, get to, to be the occupants of this building, but we were not going to be able to purchase this building because the city had plans to put affordable senior housing here. So from our very first Sunday of occupying this space, we knew that one day we were going to need to find another space. I want you to know that it has been a seven-year journey 
of looking for a place for the Southeast Raleigh table to call home. And over the course of the last three weeks, we have finally signed a lease for a space on 301 South Swain Street. Yeah, I'm so excited. Where we'll have a long-term lease. The journey has not been easy. Because along the journey, we have recognized um, how hard it is one to broker real estate in Wake County, how hard it is to broker real estate in Raleigh, how hard it is to broker real estate and to do it in a way that is just and that doesn't disenfranchise neighbors, how to um, look for real estate and do so in a way that is equitable and also allows us to continue to be good neighbors and to be good stewards. It has not been easy. But I want to thank our property search team, who all along the way prioritized people over property, which means that sometimes we had to pivot and make different decisions and change and move and say no and cry and get creative and collaborate and meet neighbors and go slow. I want, to say, I, I want you to know that the property search team that you have here at the Southeast Raleigh table took into consideration all of the ways in which we honor people over property. And that is hard. <laughs> it is so difficult. Our hope is that we'll be able to move into this space by um, midsummer. I'm not going to throw out a date because you know as soon as you throw out a date, <laughs> I'll be telling you something different. But what I can say is that it's not just about us moving into a building, it's us also moving into a neighborhood. So in this in-between space, even before we ever have our first Sunday in this new space, we are going to figure out what does it look like to have a gracious and a gentle posture in our neighborhood. How we can meet neighbors in ways that don't feel like they're being voyeured, <laughs> but that we come alongside to do with and not just two or four how we might be known, but also how we might also be trusted. And I see that this new space will be an outpost for community. It'll be a way that we can leverage our justice ministries. It can be an oasis of joy, that we might renew again this, um, this beautiful capacity that the Southeast Raleigh Table has to be a teaching congregation, that we can invite other practitioners to come and to share their wisdom with us but to have a place and a space for that to happen. And with all spaces, it's going to take us a little bit of time to feel truly at home. There's going to be some moments of uncertainty and of awkwardness of trying to figure out where do we put the signs and how do we make this work and oh good gracious, the seating doesn't work for everybody and how do we get the kids in and how we get the kids out. And all I'm going to ask is that in the midst of this season, that you might have an imagination and a patience for the in-between. I believe that you are here for a reason. I believe that God has a great vision and mission for us as a church community. 
I don't know that it looks like what it looked like two years ago. But I do trust that as we are in this in-between space, where all the answers aren't right before us, when we're not quite sure what it's all going to look like, that God's glory will be revealed in the morning and that the Lord will show up for us in the evening. Can we have an imagination for the in-between?